I didn't even have any juice on that. Okay, thanks guys. I appreciate that. Nobody, I must be loud this morning. I had no juice for like eight minutes of the sermon. Everybody's like, turn him down. They're like, he's not on. All right, let's get to it. Avoiding unnecessary suffering involves subjecting yourself to the authorities in your life. Now, number one, y'all are Americans. And number two, the vast majority of you in here are from the South. Authority in America, uh, let's take for just a few moments. When you see a Virginia state flag, what in Latin is on the flag? Come on now. Six Semper Tyrannus, thus always to tyrants. And it's got a picture of a lady like representing liberty, like with the foot on a dead tyrant. That's on our flag. Some of y'all are like, right on. All right? Like, I'm just saying, like, to understand our American context, you know, we're all about, like, the Second Amendment, you know, and, like, self-defense, and, you know, you know, tell Kim Jong-il to come to my house and say that to my mom. She'll, t- you know, just, like, all sorts of, like, we're combative people. Okay? So, so when, when the Bible tells us to submit to authority, at least for me, now maybe some of y'all, holier than thou church people and your stuff doesn't stink and you're perfect and whatnot. Maybe it never occurs to you, but for me, when I'm told to subject myself to someone or something that may, according to the text, may even be unjust, there's a little bit of like, well, just tell them to try it. Come on. Come on, let's try it. But by the way, last night I went to the Franklin County beat, uh, throwdown. I didn't see any other pastors there. Some guys I knew that were fighting a mixed martial arts event. I just want to, to use that for just one moment. Imagine if I showed up there last night. I mean, caged men and, and there are a couple of girls who fought. I think they could have beat up most men here, guys. Nothing against your manhood. They're tough, you know. And like if I had shown up there and like I'm Pastor Jeff Robinson, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I want a cut into the ring. And like, excuse me, like put me in there with your biggest guy. If God is for me, who can be against me? Some weird thing like that. I step into the cage. I get my life handed to me. I hobble up here on Sunday morning. And I say, God, Lord Jesus, how could you have let them break my nose? And black both my eyes. And when he got me in the arm bar, he wouldn't let me tap and he broke my arm. So I'm up here all, all jacked up and hanging on by a thread. And I say, God, I, guys, I'm having issues this morning. God didn't stop me. That's a picture of us often when we look at God's word and he says, subject yourselves to the authority so that you can be a representative of me. So that you can go the second mile and represent me to the unjust authorities. We react. I encourage you, don't do that. So we subject ourselves to the authorities. And then secondly, we have to understand that suffering will come in a sinful world even if you're faithful. Y'all catch that? There's a lot of stuff on TV today that it kind of tells you this. that That if you love Jesus and you have faith, you and your family will never get sick. That's a lie. One very easy, logical, rational way you can see that that's a lie is to ask, okay, if Christians who have faith never get sick, then eventually we all die from, most of the time, some type of sickness, right? Was Paul, did he have a lack of faith? No. 
Did Peter have a lack of faith? No, he was, he was crucified upside down. So we have to understand and filter through some of what we're told Christianity is. And I would just, just say this this morning. If we're following Jesus, and Jesus suffered more than anyone, and Jesus always did perfectly, then why do we think that we can follow Jesus and never have any problems? Why do we think that we can follow Jesus and not ever endure suffering? Now, if you follow Jesus, you will not have unnecessary suffering. It will be the kind that will bring joy to your heart, knowing that God will be able to work this out for good. But you have to understand that following Jesus, being faithful to Him is not an exemption card for suffering at all. Let's go through uh, verse 21 through uh, 25 there. Just walk through this with me. This is the background and the picture of how we're supposed to endure suffering. The Bible says in verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth, and being reviled... He did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Stop right there. When you are mistreated and abused for being a follower of Jesus Christ, do not react the way that everybody else does. Amen? You sit there, and if you can excuse this expression, you take it like a hoss. You sit there under the suffering knowing that God is in control, that He is sovereign, and that my God is the one who judges justly. He is over my boss. He is over this person who is trying to use their temporary authority to try to throw me off. I am trusting in God. That's so simple, but so true and so profound. That's what the Bible says Jesus did. Now notice it gets even better. Verse 24. And He Himself, Jesus bore or carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the good, to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So this is a moment for all of us who are in Rocky Mount Baptist Church to, to take a moment to say, God, I will trust you. If the economy really tanks and this bubble that we're hearing about busts, I mean, not just pops, but busts all over the place. Some of you have saved hard. All of that may be, we don't know. The Bible says that money is it's like it has wings. And some of us here... It's April 14th. What's, what's, the, what's the kill day? Is it the 15th this year? 16th, something like that. I, I don't know. So, some of you got murdered because you were productive. Y'all realize that the tax code penalizes productivity? That's, that's not a political statement. That's just a fact. And some of you have realized, regardless if you make any money, the government wants to take a lot of it to do what they think is best. And I'm going to get off of that only to make the point that if the economy tanks and you lose your job, you know that the one who controls the universe is for you. That's a good word. The the song that, that we sang, the first song, Our God, 
He is for us. Who can be against us if He is for us? You see, Jeff, right now, hold on, I got a question. You said, according to this passage in the Bible, that suffering will come even if we're faithful to God, but yet you're telling us on how to avoid suffering. Listen very carefully. This morning is about how to avoid avoidable suffering, unnecessary suffering that does not bring glory to God. You say, well, Jeff, where does that suffering, where does that that, that pain come in? It comes from, unnecessary suffering comes from disobedience. To go back to verse 20 um, with me. The Bible says, for what credit is there if when you sin, you are harshly treated and endure it with patience? So we're going to go through five warning signs of unnecessary suffering. And these are clear, loving warning signs from God's Word. Number one would be gluttony, drunkenness, and the issue of health, or neglect, neglecting care of the body. The Bible says, if you want to write this text down, or it should be in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 20 and 21, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Here's a quote that's in your outline. Quote, Preventable illness makes up approximately 80% of the burden of illness in the U.S. and 90% of all health care costs. Let me read that one more time. Preventable illness makes up approximately 80% of the burden of illness and 90% of all health care costs are preventable. Now, there's an asterisk that needs to be placed here when you ever speak about this issue within the churches. By the way, in Southern Baptist churches, we never talk about gluttony, ever. You know why? It's politically incorrect to do so. But so that we're all on the same page biblically, let me make a note, and I think that you need to write this down, regardless of where you are on this issue. Write this down. You cannot assume gluttony from weight. Y'all catch that? You cannot assume gluttony from weight. Pastor John Piper says this, He says that gluttony is a better word to use than obesity. Our our, our culture uses those. Those are not the same things at all. He says because overeating is where the problem is, not how much you weigh. Gluttony is having a craving for food that conquers you. Now notice this. This is so wise. He says a lot of gluttony is born out of boredom. Life is not satisfying or stimulating. Relationships feel empty and work is boring, but food is always there and tastes so good. Now, without a, a, a show of hands, I know a, a lot of us, if we've got a tough day going on, you're like, man, this, this stinks. This is no fun. I'm ready. Man, I'm, I'm ready. Hey, what do you want to do? I, let's, go, let's go to cookout. Amen. By the way, what a great place. For the palate, but not so much for the arteries. I love me some cookout. But listen, for for followers of Jesus Christ, this becomes very, very uh, dangerous because what we can do, and once again, you cannot assume gluttony. You cannot assume gluttony based upon weight. It's a fact that the food conquers you. But here's the danger. 
We can go through stress and issues and pain or whatever it may be. And we can look to the food to provide enjoyment, to provide something to look forward to, to provide, and this is even a buzzword in our our culture, comfort food. Comfort food. Food that brings comfort. We can look to food to do what only Jesus can. Y'all all right? If we're following Jesus, we have to be very careful that we do not go to food in our downtimes and look to that for fulfillment. Instead, we should go to Jesus. And it just breaks my heart sometimes as a pastor. I see a lot of people being taken advantage of who are trying to do the right thing. Some diets will kill you. Amen? Yeah, you'll lose weight, you'll be dead. I mean, there's, there's ways that you can, that you can deal with your health and, and eat biblically. I try to eat as many. And once I, I, I prayed about this. I prayed about it because I know Joel Osteen several years ago. Um, uh, he, he gave a few uh, health tips in his sermon. A lot of conservative guys were going crazy, like, tell him to read a health book. But I, I, I think he was right. Because here's the thing. Our walk with Jesus Christ is not just a, a spiritual issue, but it involves the physical as well. You see, if I allow myself uh, to become very unhealthy, I'm not going to be able to serve Jesus effectively, am I? And this is not Jeff. This is not from the Sunday School Quarterly. This is from Medical Journal. 80 to 90% of all of the health care issues that we have in the U.S. are preventable. I encourage you, one of the things that, that may come out of this sermon is to reevaluate your relationship with food. Whether you're somebody, man, you can eat 8,000 calories a day and walk by a mirror, guys, without your shirt, and you've got like a 16-pack. And there's some of you, and you're like, man, Jeff, if I even think about looking at a head of lettuce, I'm going to gain 15 pounds. This has nothing to do, once again... With a specific weight issue, it has to do with a heart issue. Question, do you go to food for what only Jesus can do? Do you go to food in the times that you're down or do you go to Christ? And John Piper has an awesome, awesome point about this. He says the way that that a person changes over that lifestyle is not just to say no to these sugary foods or, or to these high calorie comfort foods, but instead to say yes to Jesus. In other words, it changes from when we we live to eat, it changes from that to where we eat to live. In other words, I've got more important and fun things to do than eat. It means that I'm going to plug myself into people, I'm going to be busy serving, I'm not just going to sit at home and think, woe is me, and then try to go for food for satisfaction. We should look to God to satisfy. Here's several verses that you may want to write down if you're dealing with this issue of gluttony in your life, regardless of weight. Psalm 34, 8, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, desire the sincere spiritual milk of the word. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will not hunger. In other words, go to Christ for fulfillment. And not for food. So it very well could be, often in our lives, if we do not pay attention to God's warning signs in regards to how we take care of our physical bodies, we're going to cause unnecessary suffering. Also, greed, debt, and anxiety. If we make dumb financial decisions, we're going to heap 
anxiety upon ourselves unnecessarily. Let me read you several verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 13.7 One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17 Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. In other words, when the money hits your pocket, if you don't have a Christ uh, supremacy in your life, you're going to be thinking, What's the next fun thing I get to do? And by the way, I don't want to be misunderstood to say that God never wants you to have recreation. Enjoy a good meal. God created all things for our benefit. You know, it can be glorifying to God when you have a good meal with your family. When you guys take time to take them on a vacation. That can be God glorifying. It can rejuvenate your heart and help you to recharge when, when you're down. But here's where finances can come into play. If money and things become an idol, we're going to make bad financial decisions. And if you've made bad financial decisions in your past, which probably we all have, you know what type of stress that creates. Dave Ramsey, who has helped so many people get out of debt, he says that he um, he paid for a boat. Well, actually, he paid for a boat. He went into debt for a boat, which you all know the best two days of a boat owner's life. When they get it, when they sell it. And so he, he had this boat that was not his, but he was making payments on it. He's like this mathematical mind. If you're a nerd in here, you, you know where this is going. He said, I was skiing, being pulled behind my boat, and I, w- I was thinking about how much money it was costing me every minute to ride my boat. Strips and takes away the joy. Question, are you looking at things to give you satisfaction? Are you living above and beyond your means in order to try to be something you're not or to gain pleasure from things that you shouldn't pay for until you have the money? The Proverbs principle is this. I'd encourage you to write it down. We went through this uh, several times back in the fall. Uh, The Proverbs principle is simply this. If you don't have it, you don't buy it. The money and the purchase. In other words, you don't go into debt for something uh, like for example, everybody needs some place to live. There's some people who say it'd be best to buy a house. Some people say it's best to rent. But don't go out and take do things like uh, you know some people will will um, lease a car. Don't do that. If if you're in that, uh, look for a way to get out of it. A lot of people will go into debt for cell phones, for computers, for things that are not necessary to live. And then you're trying to serve Jesus, and the plate comes around, or like you're going to have a chance to give on Wednesday night. You're going to be very moved by what you hear, the voice of the martyrs. You're going to think, I would love to give to that, but I saw the infomercial, the Ad Master five million, and it was only four payments of twenty nine ninety nine. And you, you see, what I'm saying, and then we're kicking ourselves thinking that we're idiots, which, well, maybe we are sometimes. Y'all okay? And we don't have the money to do what God has called us to do. Question, is stuff, money, and idol in your life? By the way, if you're looking for help to... uh, to get out of debt, I encourage you just to fill out that connection card and turn it in. We've got resources that we can give you to get out of debt. And I'm, it is with God's will, I believe, uh, for every person. Also, worry, stress, anxiety, and faith. Unnecessary suffering may also stem from a lack of faith in refusing to trust God. And the text there is Matthew chapter 6. And verses 25 through 34, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of whom? Help me out, church. 
of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But you see, often in our life we go through unnecessary suffering because we're seeking after these things, making payments for things that we're not able to make payments for, and then we end up going through unnecessary suffering. You see, trusting God for your basic needs means, number one, especially for you guys in here, number one, we've got to man up financially. That means that you say, God, I'm going to trust you because I'm going to start tithing. That means 10% off the top. That's where it begins. Awkward silence follows. Let me say that again, guys. The way that we begin to man up financially and stop being afraid and building our little boy walls around us is to say, God, if you're there and you're real and you give me your word and you say that you will provide for me, it may be tight right now, but God, I'm going to man up and I'm going to, you tell me to God, I didn't say this, but you say, test me. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you to the point that you won't even be able to hold it. God, I'm going to challenge to, to take you up on your challenge and start biblically tithing at the very minimum. And I will tell you something, guys, when you begin to give regularly to the work of Jesus Christ, it will set you free. Pastor Johnny Hunt said, you will never miss what you give. You know what? At the end of every year, when you're going through your tax statements and all that, but by, by the way, y'all need to do that if you hadn't already. And outlaws, IRS is going to come hunting for you. Like, I'll go back in the hills, bring it on. All right? So here's the thing. When you go through your taxes, do you know what I think every single year? I think I should have given more. And I don't know if you're like me, but when it comes to worry and stress and anxiety... It's very easy for me to rationalize a purchase for stuff that Jeff enjoys. But sometimes, man, it's like pulling teeth to try to say, well, should I give this extra amount to Voice of the Martyrs? To, to the Annie Armstrong missionary uh, offering to her. Missionaries can go to closed countries of the world. All sorts of that, uh, things like that. Guys, I'm telling you, it will set us free, though, when we begin the process. You're like, Jeff, man, I, I know. I should be honest, dude. I am greedy. I experience anxiety from financial issues. How do I change? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 through 23. He says, uh, for where your treasure is, there your what is also, church. Your heart is also. So here's what Jesus is saying. Even if you know that you're greedy, if you got issues, if you're not saved, or, or you're just trying, you, this, is, this is like your first time to church in a long time. You're like, man, I don't even know what's going on. The guy's up there yelling, and he wasn't even on, you know, for eight minutes of the sermon. So he, he, here's the thing. I, I tell you guys, I was so excited about this sermon today. I'm ready for this series, man. When you come to the place to where you were experiencing that anxiety and that issue, like, can I even change? Should I even start? Where do I start? Jesus tells us where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's for you to begin to give. Notice, not just financially, but when you do that, slowly your heart will become warmed and open and attracted to the things that you give. When you plug into this church, some of you may be new. You're like, bro, I don't even, I don't even know like books in the Bible, whatnot. Let me, th- we're glad that you're here. Amen, church. This is a church that welcomes everybody. Everybody comes to Jesus equal. Amen. 
No class A and class B. But the way that you begin to deal with that anxiety and that worry biblically is to obey what God has said. Leonard Ravenhill said this. If you can write quick, I'd encourage you to write it down. Great preacher of the past generation. He said, a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. A man who is intimate and close with God will never be intimidated by men. So guys, we have to reject what the culture is telling us, which is get all you can and sit on all you have and let it spoil. Instead, give. Second to last, unnecessary suffering can come from, and this is especially aimed at church people, at bitterness and unforgiveness. When you harbor bitterness and resentment in your hearts, what you're doing is you're harboring toxic chemicals. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. You see, if you do not freely forgive and release those who have offended you, what will happen is you will begin to harbor deep down inside your heart anger. And that anger will do only one thing. It will build. Kind of like if you don't check on your refrigerator and clean it out from time to time, you will have samples of certain things that may not be identifiable unless you are a science person. It will grow and it will fester and you will come back and it will be absolutely unusable. The beauty of the gospel, please hear me, the beauty of the gospel, church people, is that through Jesus we have been forgiven of all of our sin. Amen? All of it. So if He's forgiven me, then I get to forgive other people because I don't have to be held in slavery. Lecrae says this, if you're not familiar with him, he's a, uh, he's a Christian rapper. He's a man of God. He says, the inability to forgive is a prison. The inability to forgive is a prison. And I have talked to many people in church who are in absolute prison. They may be even involved in the church, but they've got so much bitterness and resentment against a former church or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a deaconess or whoever it may be. Guys, through the power of Christ, the word for forgiveness means to release. And He will cleanse you of that bitterness. You see, man, where does all this crazy anger and hatred comes from? Often it comes from the refusal to forgive. And sometimes it may even be that we're angry at God. And here's what happens if you don't deal with this, is it ends up hurting people you don't want to hurt. You say, Jeff, no man, I'm mad at them. Not at her. Not in my family, not in my wife and my husband, but it comes out. You see, that's what happens when you harbor the toxic chemicals of bitterness and resentment. Through the power of Christ, release that and give it away. My, my brother Josh had some genes one time, and we were, we were doing some work on a battery. And some of the battery acid, just a little bit of it, got on his genes. And it, it didn't do anything at the, the time. We got up the next day to do some work. We had a lawn business, and that was, that was a lot of fun and a lot of work. But we looked at the, the little splotches of acid had absolutely eaten through his pants. I mean, it looked like the type of jeans, you know, the 80s bands would wear. It was like they were holy jeans, not H-O-L-Y jeans, but they were W-H-O-L-L-Y. I hope I spelled that right. Anyway, uh, but, but, but they, they had holes, all right? 
But that's what happens. It's the same thing when we harbor bitterness and resentment. You're like, Jeff, man, give me something practical. How do I deal with this? Number one, you must be forgiven in order for, to forgive. You must be forgiven in order to forgive. In other words, you cannot give something that you do not have. And I think a lot of times in church, we've got people who've never truly been saved. They think that they're here. And if someone else offends them, then how could you do that to me? Instead of them seeing them as the person doing that to God. You see, whenever we're offended, we have to take a 180 and say, how could God have not killed me and sent me to hell years ago for half the stuff that I've done? And if you can't connect with that, you need to get saved. You see, if we've been truly saved, I truly believe with all my heart, we're going to be just like the Apostle Paul who said, I am the greatest of sinners. I'm the greatest one. Manasseh in the Old Testament, who sawed a prophet in two, who filled Jerusalem from one end of blood to the other, Manasseh's got nothing on me. In fact, the Apostle Paul only persecuted Christians for a short while. They've got monsters in the Old Testament. Decades of wickedness and perversion and torture and murder. The Apostle Paul, when he met Jesus, it was like all of that seemed like child's play. When you get saved for real, you have the ability to forgive and give grace. Because you've been given grace. And finally, something that will cause unnecessary suffering is immorality, sex outside of marriage, or sex with someone that is other than your spouse. And often that comes from refusing students, young people. It comes from us refusing to listen to parental and biblical warnings about immorality. If you have your Bibles, turn with me very quickly to Proverbs chapter 7. I think every dude in here, man, we should have this chapter absolutely marked and we should come back to it pretty often. Uh, Mine has the caption, the wiles of a harlot. In other words, the shady ways of a shady woman. Guys, it tells us in verse 22 of Proverbs chapter 7 that if we are seduced by a woman who cares so little for us, it says this, Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in chains to the discipline of a fool. Verse 23, Until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. We could be here all day long telling story after story of great men who have fallen through immorality. And so make a note, in our culture, it's very common for people to live with each other. If you're here today and you love Jesus and you're living with someone, guys, you honor her, you honor her, and you move out. Or you honor her if she's living in your apartment and you find a place for her to live. Allowing someone to live with you in that way, listen to me guys, is not honoring the woman at all. I'm not going to ask for an amen on that. It's very common. People, I'm 32. I know this. I'm not just a preacher off in some monastery. I know this is the way our culture is. I'm telling you, guys, move out, especially if you're mooching off of her rent. And in no way is that respectable, guys. We see we got to call this in our culture. It's awkward. There's like that tension. Y'all feel that tension? But somebody's got to say it. You move out. You find a place, you provide for her a place, then you seek God on whether you should follow through 
and get married. It's not the way you try it out. It's not the way that you see that you're compatible. The studies even show, secular studies show, when you live together, when you're sexually active with someone, the chances of that not making it dramatically skyrocket. God's way is to honor the other person by way of respecting their purity when and if God leads you to get married. You see, now hold on, Jeff. I have close friends. I have family members. It may be me. And I'm in the midst of a relationship right now. Or I just got out. What, what do I do? It's going to be very hard for you, but you're going to have to say, this is, I don't know. We're just going to be very honest at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Guys, it's not, she shouldn't have to say this. It should be up to you. Say, look, we're, we're separating. We may still be a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. But we're not having sex. We're not doing things that would bring dishonor to Jesus Christ starting now. And guys, it's on you to have the self-control to take that up to the next level. Okay? And what will happen if God leads you to get married? It will be a marriage in which there will be a respite of you receiving God's grace in your life and the forgiveness which Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleanses and forgives all sin. Amen, church? But it has to start sometime. And you and I both know, if we're older than six years old, we know that tomorrow turns into the next day, and that turns into the next month, into the next year. My taxi guy even told me, he's like, man, you know what will really save on your taxes? If you got married. He's like, man, if you, if you just went out and you got married and you had a couple kids, you'd be in pretty good shape. Because by the way, if you're single and you make $2, they take 90% of it. Now imagine if I went out and just tried to find, I don't know, mail order brides or something like that. Like, hey, got a proposition for you. And, and I pursue it just based upon money alone. And I get some woman I don't even know. And we, we have kids. And then the Holy... See, that, that, that's creating unnecessary suffering. You say, all right, Jeff. All right, we've gone through all of them. What does it mean if I have... If every five... Every one of those five categories, if that's me, I've made the... I've abused my body. I, I, I'm, I'm a... I've, been impure sexually. I've I've used uh, all sorts of. I'm stressed out. I'm I'm anxious. Uh, all of these things. What does that mean? It's good news for you because listen, everybody, look right here. Jesus identifies with sinners. Y'all understand that, church people? That Jesus came and he was with he was with the gluttonous people. He was with the party crowd. He was with them. He was with them. The people who are in greed and in, and in debt. Jesus came so that he, he paid your debt. You say, you see, man, we, we, we owed a debt that we could not pay. Like the old little kid song says, he paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to take my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Man, see, that's what Jesus can do. Jesus identifies with you. If you have issues with forgiveness, Jesus can forgive you. And finally, I think the, one of the greatest pictures in all the Bible, in John chapter 8, when they brought that woman out who had lived a life of adultery. Lady, she had been publicly, publicly humiliated. And she was about to suffer a humiliating death by men. And Jesus looked down, and he didn't say you didn't do anything wrong. Everybody knew that she had. He said he was without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody leaves. And he looks down at the woman. He says, woman, where are those who accuse you? Rise and sin no more. Get up. You're changed and sin no more. 
We're about to have an invitation, and that's the call of God to you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This is our invitation today. You say, man, Jeff, what is an invitation? It is a time. The conclusion of this message, when we finish preaching God's Word, we give people a chance to respond. There may be some of you that were like Tony. Tony, been saved, but you just need to follow Christ and believers' baptism. Some of you guys, you, you need to come today and say, look, man, I may even have been dunked as a kid. But I know that I truly got saved at a later point. You need to put your baptism on the right side of your salvation. You need to stand up for Jesus. Stand up and be counted as a man who is following the ultimate man, Jesus Christ, today. No more playing around. No more fear. You say, today is the day that I'm going to follow Christ in baptism. There's, there may be some of you guys, girls, you've not been saved. But through this message this morning, through the music, what has been done here today, you know that you need to be saved and start all over. I mean, not just not not just not just flip the coin, not just flip the leaf, but you, but this you say, man, I don't just need a new chapter; I need a new book. The news for you is that if you repent of your sin, turn away from it, and place your faith in Jesus Christ right now, He will forgive everything you have ever done will give you a clear conscience, make you born again. It'll change your life right now. Give you the ability to beat your addictions through His power. He'll make you a new man, a new woman. Just this moment right now, if that, that's what you know needs to happen, just say, Jesus, please save me. Be merciful to me. I'm a sinner.